Well, hey, I got a text on Friday. Friday, right? Was this Friday? I think maybe Saturday, maybe yesterday. I think it was Friday. Um, from this guy that said, hey, I've got Sunday for free. Sunday free. And I said, awesome, because when Bob Kilpatrick texts you and says he's got a free Sunday, can I come? You say, yes, sir. Yes, you can. Please come. And I know uh, probably a, a, a portion of you doesn't know who Bob is, and he's going to share more of that and um, and stuff. But um, he's been a father in this house and um, a voice for prophetic voice for worship and and just speaking into been friends with everybody in our past. And um, anyway, has been a dear come up alongside us in the years we've been here and just been a dear friend to us, too. And um, I think this is we were trying to remember what. I don't think that's me. That was you, sorry. <laughs> um, anyway, it's been... Uh, I forget what I was saying. Yeah, dear friend. Yes. So would you guys just please give a warm welcome to Bob Kilpatrick. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know, the, the longer you know someone, the worse the introductions get. Because uh, there's what 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 do you say about somebody? You know, it's not sometimes people read my bio to introduce me, and I know when they do that, they just don't know me very well. You know, Bob Kilpatrick has been around for a long time. You know, whatever. So, oh, thanks so much. Thank you for doing that, Maggie. I enjoy playing with the band. I rarely get to play with humans. It's always with, you know, not carbon-based life forms, but electricity-based. So uh, that was really fun. And I'm always playing my own stuff and rarely just, just sit in. And so it was really fun for me. I just enjoyed it a lot because I got to do this, you know. This, are, we, are we all on the guitar there? Just reminiscent, you know. Picture yourself. No, no, no. We're not, we're not doing that song. <laughs> Too many overtones to that one, you know. Uh, I am kind of a, I'm in kind of a reflective mood. Um, because things, you know, you have seasons of life. And... Um, and uh, sometimes people don't recognize the seasons. I don't know if I have always been very astute at recognizing the seasons, but I think I'm riding the wave of this one. And so I'll tell you about that in a little bit. But Stuart, who was playing drums, reminded me of, uh, he said, I remember the first time I heard you, you were doing one, one by one, one by one, the world will be one. One, one by one, yeah, one by one, the world will be one. East to west, north to south, all around the world. Person to person, word of mouth, hey, have you heard the word goes round? One, one by one, yeah, one by one, the world will be one. If you got it. 
I'm going to worship you. 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 Ask of me, and I will give the nations as an inheritance for you. As an inheritance for you, oh my children, ask of me, and I will give the nations as an inheritance for you. Ask of me. When we say, Here am I, send me to the nations. Some of those songs I haven't played in a long time. This one I play a lot. Probably the best known prayer song that I have written. Sing it with me. In my I was uh, radically transformed in 1970. I had just moved to California, 16 years old, uh, 69 when I moved and turned 17 at the end of 69. And then uh, summer of 70, I'd been traveling around the nation as an actor and uh, having a good time and, you know, living in L.A. My left my parents in Northern California here, moved to L.A. and was an actor and, and doing it, actually making, you know, making a little bit of money, still starving, but not starving as badly as most actors, you know, and then got a, got a couple of good breaks and thought, I'm on my way, and then 
got a letter from my dad, and he said, come home. Not as a, as a command, but as a, an entreaty, you know. And, uh, and I was sitting out, actually, out in front of this theater. I had a part in this musical called Hair, which is ironic, but it's true. <laughs> and uh, I was just going in for a reading and uh, sitting with a friend of mine outside and got that letter from my dad, and I decided... I'm not doing this. I'm going home. I'm not staying, and I don't care about this part because this was kind of like my big break. Thank you, sir. You're very kind. You are flowing in the spirit. And so, uh, we were in this old Rambler. I don't even know whose car it was, but we drove this Rambler up north and dropped me off and Gary my friend kept on going back to Tulsa Oklahoma he decided to leave too he, we just both gave up at the same time and as it happens we both ended up in the ministry Gary is a youth pastor back in Oklahoma but I left all that and moved back here and uh, was baptized in the Holy Spirit which means I was radicalized for Jesus you know and uh, I had long hair and you know played guitar and all that stuff young people did in 1970. And I cut my hair, and I broke my guitar in half, and I put it in the fire and burned it. I took all of my albums, you know, the Hendrix and the Doors and the Beatles, and I burned those too. I made an ashtray for my sister out of Abbey Road. she would prefer to have had the album, not the ashtray. She's a little peeved with me. But it served her well. Just got radical. Started a house ministry. I lived in Chico for a while in a house ministry called the Ivy House with some guys, Gaylord Inns and Bob Maddox and Mario Morello lived in town at the time and Randy Sager and I were singing for Mario, so I ended up traveling around the West Coast with Mario a lot. And I'd sing, he'd preach, and we'd just have a time. Then I started my own house ministry down uh, outside of Beale Air Force Base. And went to Europe in 72 to uh, the Olympics, those, you know, terrible Olympics with the uh, massacre. I think this is one of the earliest Palestinian acts of terror on the world stage and they uh, they killed a lot of uh, Israeli athletes we came home and uh, felt the shift in our ministry and moved to Sacramento became a youth pastor I got to tell you something I was not any good as a youth pastor not because I didn't love the kids in fact 20 years later when they wanted to have a a reunion, they asked me to come and not the other guy, the other youth pastor. <laughs> I loved them. I just didn't fit in church. I just didn't feel like, you know, Cameron and I were talking about it this morning, just kind of not feeling like you fit, you know, and I just, I was passionate about Jesus, the person of Jesus. And so uh, when they gave me commands to do, you know, uh, or, or sort of a system to do things, I just didn't get it. You know, what's the purpose of this? I get... They told me I was supposed to do visitation. You know what that meant I was supposed to do? I was going to go, supposed to sit on a, which I did. I did this. 
sit on a couch in a dark living room with a junior high kid who's sulky and angry at everybody, watching cartoons. And I'm going, why am I here? This is ridiculous. And so I wouldn't do the follow-up. And they got, so I wasn't any good at being a, a youth pastor in a system church. And uh, there was a snowstorm. On, I, I left that. I was still living in Sacramento, but I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And I just sing in and, you know, here and there. And, and uh, there was a snowstorm on Valentine's Day. And uh, Bethel down at Reading had a Valentine's banquet. And they had asked some guys, Jim uh, Stippick and his brother, to come over from Reno and provide music for this Valentine's banquet. And they got snowed out. The pass between here and there was just, you know, snowed out. And they, they called up and said, we can't make it. And they called another guy in Chico, and he said, I'm already booked. But, hey, there's this young couple in Sacramento. And I had been at Bethel before that because I'd, I'd done events there with Mario and with some other, with another group that I was in. So I knew... Uh, in a cursory way, I knew, knew the church and knew some of the people. But they called us, I think it was like 2 or 3 in the afternoon. And somebody said, we know it's late, but is there any possibility? I think it was Jackie. I think it was Jackie that called. Is there any possibility that you and Cindy could come up and do this Valentine's banquet for us tonight? We're kind of stuck. And uh, I said yes, because I was starving. And... Money was food, and food was life, you know, and health. And so, yes, so we got a we got a babysitter real fast, and we uh, made our way up to Reading. And Pastor Earl was not there; just Darlene and Jackie were there. And Jackie said, "This is it. He's the guy." And so the next thing I know, I you know, we even drove home that night. We didn't even stay. We just got back in the car and drove home because we had a little boy. And so uh, I get a call from Earl Johnson and wants me to come up and be the music pastor at Bethel Church. I, and I told him I've never directed a choir. I've been in one, I think. But, you know, I haven't directed a choir. And he goes, that's okay, you know. And so as, as Bill tells the story, uh, Earl came back to the staff and said, and this part I only learned from Bill. I wasn't there for this. But Bill said, uh, Earl told the staff, I'm hiring the least uh, qualified of all of the guys that we've been interviewed, but he's got the same spirit that we have. And uh, that makes a difference, you know. My wife and I, do you guys do pinky swears? Do you know what a pinky swear is? You do pinky swear, you know. You, you, I mean, it means something to us. We, we really take pinky swears seriously in our family. And my wife have a, and I have a pinky swear. Don't work with jerks. It's one of our pinky swears, you know. Don't work with jerks. If you are working, you find yourself working with a jerk, just back out like a cat. Just very quietly and run away. And so it, it just it matters if they have the same spirit or not. You know, it just it really matters. And uh, we did fit. And so we moved up to Reading and, and uh, I wasn't a good choir director. And I and 
really, I wasn't. I mean, I just I saw Darlene a couple of weeks ago, and she played piano for me. She was the epitome of patience because she she never criticized or anything. And I, I ran through one song for six weeks before Earl finally said, okay, you got to do more than one song at a practice. So, and you can do 10 songs in one week and, you know, 10 songs. The next. So I, I, I was learning a lot. He was a good choir director, but that frustration I think was necessary for this reason. That was when Bethel made the shift from choir director to worship leader. And there is a very strong distinction. I didn't even lead worship at Bethel when I first got there. I only led the choir. Earl would get up, turn in your hymnals to page 161. And he would lead worship, you know. And then I'd get up and I'd have my back to the people. And I, I, I was so frustrated for a year and a half because I thought, I don't want to have my back to the people. I want to face them. I want to put my guitar on and I want to face the people and I want to I want to play and sing, you know. But that frustration is what helped us to navigate the change. It sort of propelled us into a new era at Bethel. Uh, Bill and I are very like minded in in a lot of ways. And so uh, we he's musical and uh, so is Benny, and so are my wife and I. So we made a band. We had a band called Wild Olive. Do you remember? Wild Olive. I remember one time this couple came up to us, actually a guy, a weird, different kind of a guy, and he goes, um, so tell me, which one of you is Olive? <laughs> I think the next question would have been, and how wild are you, you know? Wow. So we thought the name maybe, maybe, uh, I've always blamed it on Bill. But we, you know, I was there in September. I was ministering at Bethel in September. Had a great band with me, which was my, uh, two of my sons, one of my grandsons, my, uh, a guy that I designed a new musical instrument with. Uh, which I'll get into maybe in a little bit. And then uh, my my good friend Zorro, who's uh, Lenny Kravitz drummer, he, he came up and played drums for us. And then so I had family and great friends on stage, you know. And, and before, just beforehand, Bill comes up and he says, Eric wants to interview us. Are you cool with that? And I go, sure. You know, because, I mean, it's, I, it's a surprise, but, hey, why not? Life's full of surprises. And uh, so we hadn't planned this or anything, but Eric interviewed us. And we're talking about the band, and he says, who named it? And both of us, both Bill and I, pointed at each other. <laughs> you did. It was like biblical. It's, you know, it's Romans grafted in like a wild olive, you know. And he goes, no, it was you. And it wasn't me. It was Bill. I just got to tell you that. I wouldn't make up a stupid name like that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But anyway, we had great, we had great fun in that group. Um, the first visit I ever made to Weaverville was in, you know, the old building where the Seventh-day Adventist Church is now. And Bill and Benny ended up living behind that in what looks like a place that maybe should be, you know, condemned these days. I don't know. Uh, but we had, we had a great time. We came up here. We sang, you know, and Ukiah, Wairika, 
left my guitar leaning against the building in Wairika and drove, it was a new guitar, it was an ovation. I'd gotten it with a, uh, from a settlement of insurance, an accident that we'd had, and some other people chipped in and got me this great guitar. I thought it was the best guitar I would ever own. It was an ovation. And uh, we left it leaning against the building. I pulled up in front of Bill and Benny's house. They lived right downtown in this little teeny place. Pulled up, put the thing in park, turned the engine off, and that's when it hit me. And I went, my guitar. I don't know why it waited that long. Couldn't you have done that like on the outskirts of Wairika? Then we could turn around. And and uh, I, I had no guitar. All of a sudden, I had no guitar. And I, uh, I didn't know what to do. And I thought I had been wanting to travel and sing. And I thought, well, maybe this is the Lord saying, give up that dream. Don't dream that. Just be here. Just be the worship pastor here at Bethel and, you know, lead the choir and forget the the dream of singing your own songs to people. And so I started to let it go. I just thought, yeah, well, maybe that's maybe that's what God's doing. He took this away so I wouldn't get carried away in this pipe dream of traveling and doing music. So uh, I would go down to Bernie's guitar and I would play the guitars. I loved them. I knew Bernie, you know. I knew Bernie because I was a pest because I was down there all the time playing the guitars. That's how he knew me. Uh, But he ended up playing on one of my records, so that was kind of fun. And I'm down there playing the guitars and I couldn't bring myself to buy the kind of guitar I could afford because they were crap. Do you know what I'm saying? I just couldn't do it. It's like I wanted something better than this. And if I can't, if this is all I can afford, no, I, then I won't do music. i got to have a better guitar. It's just got to be better than this. And so I lived without a guitar for all, many months. And then this friend, the same guy who had recommended that Bethel contact me for that Valentine's banquet, he was a guy from Texas, and he flew out here on his way. He said, hey, uh, Carla and I are flying into Reading, and we thought... Uh, we come by and see you. Can we, uh, can we stay with you all? I said, yeah, sure. You know, come on. His name is Jim Miller. So he came into the house and I come out of the, the bedroom and, and he's got this, this guitar case open. He says, hey, look what the Lord did. He played a 12-string Martin. But he'd always, he'd been talking about buying himself a six-string Martin. <clears throat> and uh, just finding what he liked. And he said, hey, look what the Lord did. And I said, oh, Jim, that's great. He goes, well, play it. So I leaned down, like, get it out, and it's this Martin guitar. It's just wonderful, you know. I go, man, this is great. This is, like, better than I ever had, you know. And, and he goes, well, it's yours. Free, prepaid, no charge. I just couldn't believe it. And that was like a stamp of approval. The Lord saying, don't give up your dream." Now, that may be a sermon for somebody here, that you think that the loss is the end of it, and the Lord is saying the loss is the beginning of it. Okay? The loss is the beginning. Wow. Just a minute. Thank you. That is... Do you ever prophesy to yourself? 
Wow. Wow. And that's what happened. So that's the guitar. I still have the guitar. Uh, that Martin D28. It's beautiful. Built in 1972. And that's the one I wrote, Lord Be Glorified on, and all the other songs, you know. Here am I, I will not be ashamed. Started to travel. I knew all the guys from the Jesus movement. If you've heard of, you know, Love Song, those are all my buddies. Uh, Chuck Gerard, Tommy Coombs, and all the Maranatha bands. No Paul Stuckey from Peter, Paul, and Mary. We had him a couple of times in Reading. I'd written him a letter just saying, I'm just about to start traveling. Do you have any advice for me? And he wrote me back. This is like the Beatles of folk music. This is like, you know, John, Paul, George, and Ringo, except three. You know, Peter, Paul, and Mary. <clears throat> they were huge. And he wrote me back. I couldn't believe it. He wrote me and gave me two pages of advice, and I still have that letter. It, it used to hang for the longest time in my, my recording studio. Uh, just because I wanted to be reminded of this tenderness that he, he showed me. And then one day I come home, Cindy says, we just got a call from Noah Paul Stuckey. He wants to come to Reading. He wants to do a concert here. Are you kidding me? I'm about to faint. Or soil myself or something. I just I'm I am really freaked out here, you know. And and but he did it. Twice we had him. The last concert Keith Green ever did, we did together. Sonoma County Fairgrounds, just about five days before he died. It's a Friday night. And uh, I sang, Keith sang, Lauren Cunningham spoke. Then my wife Cindy and I drove up to Whidbey Island in Washington and Keith flew home to Texas and then passed away on that Wednesday. It's a lot of great memories back then. Watching, uh, watching the current crop of musicians grow up. You know, Brian Johnson, he was, he's nine days older than my third son. And so we were bringing Andrew home from the hospital. We lived out in Silverthorne, Jones Valley, way out of town. And past Palisadro would go up toward the lake. And uh, it's a windy, windy road. And as we're coming home, Bill and Benny pass us. It's, they had come evidently to our house, and we weren't there, so they were leaving. But they saw us arriving, so they turned around and came back. And they had nine-day-old Brian, or ten-day-old at that time. And we had one-day-old Andrew, and we spent the afternoon with our, our newborns. And, and now here they are shaking up the world, you know. It's cool. It's cool to see. You hope that your children will rise higher than you. That's what you want. Now, some guys don't want that because they want to be still the big, the big guy, you know, bigger than their kids. And it's the big men who let their kids go on. And so uh, it's a testimony to Bill and Benny, what Eric and, and uh, Brian and Leah have done. So anyway, I was just I'm just reminiscing about the seasons of life and how God takes us through. And uh, Cindy and I are moving to Southern California in, uh, I don't know, about a month. You know, all of our kids moved down there. They moved to Westlake Village, Thousand Oaks, Newbury Park. And we started this new uh, company with two of my sons and uh, a friend of mine, another a worship leader at a church. 
And we, uh, we created a brand new instrument called the walkabout. It's, we actually have two patents on it. It's just kind of weird. It's a new step in my life. But we've got this percussion instrument. It looks like a, you took a guitar and sawed off the neck. No strings, no, no uh, saddle, you know. And uh, the, the hole is a little weird. It's kind of star-shaped. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, percussive possibilities in a guitar. Uh, we changed the bracing entirely on the inside, so it only looks like a guitar. It's not a guitar. It's just the body of a guitar. It's got snare sounds and cymbal and all kinds of stuff, you know. And, uh, and it's starting to take off. It's kind of fun because uh, you hope people will like it. So there's a, a jazz bassist named uh, Stanley Clark, and uh, his drummer came by the NAM show, the big music show in January, and saw it and fell in love with it, came back a second time, a third time, a fourth time, finally said, I want to take this on tour with us. We're practicing next week in New York, and we leave for two years, and I'd really love to play this on the tour. And so we said, here you go, and uh, gave him one, and he's been playing it on the tour. Um, a Uruguayan artist named Jorge Drexler saw Zorro, my buddy uh, from Lenny Kravitz, saw Zorro playing it, and a video of him and said, uh, I got to try one of those out. And he did. And they were starting rehearsals in Miami and for his world tour. And he's been all over the place with it. He was in Miami, then New York, and then L.A., and then to Mexico City and Brazil, and then to Spain and back to L.A. And taking it all over. And, and it's all, you know, he's playing the walkabout. And then uh, Lincoln Brewster uses it on his Christmas tour for an acoustic set. And who else is... It's just a, a lot of folks have started taking it up, you know, and, and uh, we're kind of excited about it. And in every, inside every instrument, there's, a, there's of course, a, a serial number and a model number, you know. And underneath the serial number and the model number, it says, Soli Deo Gloria, which means glory to God alone. Because we wanted it. You know what? I have n I've, I've been racking my brain for a long time, four years since we started doing this, and I have not been able to come up with an instrument that was made, created, and introduced through the church. The organ was not. Everybody goes, oh, the organ. That started in the church. Actually, it did not. It started in the second century in, in Rome. And then when it was adopted by the Scottish Presbyterians, it came out of the dance halls, and John Knox hated them and destroy them with axes because they were too worldly, you know. Uh, guitar, the same way. Uh, piano, they were all created outside the church and then came in. And we wanted this one to start in the church and go out. And so uh, a guy gave one to Brian. Brian uh, Johnson has one. And I have actually have one in the car I'm giving to Bill. So um, that's what we're doing. I'm not leaving the ministry. I'm not stopping what I do because I love what I do. I just love to sing and talk to people uh, about Jesus. There's, I don't have another subject. People go, what's your, what's your focus? Uh, could, it, could I say Jesus and would that be okay? I mean, you know, could it be a person, not a thing or a subject? I would like to just talk to you about Jesus, you know. Um, I know I'm talking for a long time and maybe I'll sing a couple of songs. But I do want to say this one thing. We have become, in large measure, in the church in America, we have become people of a book rather than people of a person. Do you know, until 320 
A.D. or so, there was no such thing as a Bible-believing Christian. No such thing. You know why? Because there was no Bible. They didn't have a Bible. They had some letters from Paul. They had some letters from John. They had some cranky notes from Peter. They had, you know. It's like, who do you want to read today? You know, you want to get pounced on? You want to get encouraged, you know. That's all they had. They were passing them around. And there was just like one copy, and then they'd make another copy. And now there are two. One's in Asia. And then in 320, Constantine, you know, declares himself a Christian, which is a miracle in itself, a uh, demigod bowing to another god. You know, that was pretty cool. And then he commissions the, uh, the uh, council to come together and ratify what books go in the Bible. And boom, now we have a book. But before that, what did they have? What did they, you think it was letters? I heard Andy Stanley preaching about this, and I agreed with him until the very last statement. Because he said uh, they didn't have the Bible. And he, I, Somebody sent me a link to this because they said, he's talking like you are. And I go, he really is. This is something we agree. You know, he's a Baptist. I'm an ex-Baptist. <laughs> Former Baptist. Uh, and right to the last, he's saying there, no, you know, there was no Bible. They didn't have a book. What did they have? What, how did they turn the world over in 320 years or 290 years from after the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension? How did they turn the, the Roman Empire around so it became a Christian Empire. How did that happen without a book, without some sort of organization, without denominational de- denominations and things? How did that happen? His answer was they had an event, the resurrection. And I go, you're halfway there. Why is the resurrection important? Why is it even important? It's not because it happened. It's because someone is now alive again forever. Alive. Alive. But you know what we think we do? We, we think the ascension is Jesus flying up to Saturn or something and living there until we're, the world is, you know, he gets the command from God to come down and change things. Like the ascension is Jesus leaving. And that's the way most of Christianity lives these days. That Jesus is gone, and we're supposed to hold the fort, you know. So the question, what would Jesus do? You know that question? Did any of you ever have the WWJD armbands? Yeah. Rock on. We had, when I was producing an album for Phil Keggy and Randy Stonehill, and we had WWJPD. What would John and Paul do? (laughs) Inside joke. Um, Do you know that question, what would Jesus do? That only works if you believe that Jesus is not here. Why would I say, Shannon, where do you think Cameron wants to go to lunch today? I'm just wondering. Too heavenly, Cameron. Just speak to me through your servant. Tell me where you want to go. The only reason why I would ask that is Cameron wasn't here. Right? If he's not here, then I need to ask, 
what would he do? And so, you know what this does? What we've done is we've become functioning atheists as Christians. Oh, we believe it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful story. It's a great story how Jesus comes and no sin and then dies and then resurrects and then flies away. How cool is that? And he's coming back. The fact that he's coming back tells us he's not here. And so we are, we're living by example instead of living in his presence. Right? Because we don't believe he's here. So what would Jesus do? What do you think Jesus would do? Because he needs me to do it. Because I'm his hands. We have songs about this. We are his hands. We are his feet. You know, we've got to do the stuff because Jesus is not here. And we've got to figure out what he would do if he were here. I, I, you know, I'm going to tell you something. That's above my pay grade. I am always caught in this conundrum. Which Jesus is going to show up? Which Jesus should I bring to this? Is it the Jesus that says, neither do I condemn you? Or the one that says, get thee behind me, Satan. The one that says, let the children come to me. Or the one that turns over the tables. I don't know. Is it the angry Jesus or the loving Jesus? You know, see, we're trying. We're trying to make decisions about circumstances that are way beyond our knowledge. How do you know what's the right thing to do just by asking yourself if Jesus were, you know, like actually alive and present, if he were, what would he do in this circumstance? Well, here's the great news. And you already believe this, I hope. Jesus is alive and he is present. I get stuck in the Bible in verses. I get stuck in places instead of. You know, I'm not one of those. I've I've read through the Bible, okay? I just want you to know. I've run a marathon, all right? I've I've read through the whole Bible. How many of you have? You know why you do it? Bragging rights. So you can gloat over people. (laughs) I read through the Bible, the whole Bible. took me five hours. I did it. It's like we're comparing times, you know, how long it take you to get through the whole Bible. It's like 26.2, you know. Can I suggest to you a different way to read the Bible? Here here it is. Find a spot in God's garden and linger there. Linger. Remember George Washington Carver? Remember him? Remember what he's famous for? What? Say it again. Peanuts. The man knew peanuts. He didn't know cashews. He only knew peanuts. But you can thank him because you have peanut butter because of him. Peanut oil we use because of him. George Washington Carver didn't know almonds, pistachios. There's not going to be a test in heaven for how much biblical knowledge you have. This is, this is not the, there's no entrance exam. This is not how you get in. Well, you missed that thing in Leviticus. <laughs> it's like that scene in 
Monty Python of the Holy Grail, you know, they give the wrong answer. Boom, gone. That's, that was a picture of Christianity, by the way. Uh, their, their image of what it's like to be a Christian. Choose a spot in God's garden and linger there. If you, if you come across a verse and it shines a little bit, don't go on. Just stay for a while. For the last several years, I've been stuck on this Colossians 1, 15 and 16, and sometimes 17 through 19, but mainly 15 and 16. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, where the things in heaven, things in earth, visible and invisible. That's telling you something about heaven and earth. Whether thrones, dominions, authorities. It's a great verse. If something like that happens to you, stick with it. Isaiah chapter 6 was like that for me for a while. The book of Galatians, a year and a half, I read it every day, sometimes twice. Because I didn't understand it, I didn't like it, and I figured I had to make my peace with Paul. Get this thing, you know? I had to, I had to get it, because I knew he was smart and spiritual, and I'm the stupid one, so i got to get this, you know? And I spent a year and a half, and I love it. Oh, it, it, it rings, it sings. So, anyway, um, let's become people who live with God instead of trying to live like God. Because here is the here is a is a, um, a an issue that breeds hypocrisy. Okay, and it's this: if you are trying to live like Jesus, you are going to bed disappointed with yourself every night. I'm serious. If you're trying to live like Jesus, this is what we call an unattainable goal. All right? You're not ever going to do it. So if you're seriously trying, you're just putting yourself in the dumps every night. Crap. I didn't do it again. Every night. And so my advice to you is give up. Stop trying to live like Jesus because you can't do it. And find it in the Bible where that's the first command, that that's what you're supposed to do, to live like Jesus. Find it, show it to me. Instead, live with Jesus. Live with him. He's here. You already know this. I'm talking to people who know what I'm talking about because you know when Paul says, therefore, we fix our eyes on the invisible. You know what that means. You actually believe that there's an invisible dimension to the universe and that we are supposed to live in it and to move in it and to have our being in it. Right. So you already you're already there. Maybe you just need an encouragement to keep it up. To live with him. Every day is an adventure. So you're holding your life out in your hand and you're saying, not what would Jesus do, but Jesus, what are you doing? What are you doing? Can I do it with you? Oh, the cry from heaven is yes. Of course you could do it with me. Come on. Take my yoke. Saddle yourself to me. That's the yes to can I do it with you. All right. Then life becomes an adventure. And I'll tell you a secret. And it's this. It's really simple and beautiful. 
if you will be with him, you will be like him. You won't even have to work at it. If you'll be with him, you'll be like him. If you'll be with Jesus, you will be like Jesus. Because you always take on the, the habits and characteristics of your friends. You can always tell who somebody's been hanging with by how they talk and how they act, you know. So if you live with him, you will be like him, and it won't take any sweat at all. Oh, gosh, I've kept you so long. I'm sorry. Uh, can I do maybe a song? Is that, is that okay? Just, just one more. Uh, you're the first people I've told that we're moving. So uh, if you just wouldn't tell, just keep it, keep it among us. What's that? Only by <laughs> you, you don't. You're not hungry yet. You, okay, but some of the other people are going. Tell that guy to shut up. You know, I'm hungry. I want to go to lunch. Okay, so uh, can I ask if there's a request? A song of, now. It's got to be a song of mine. Okay, uh, one of mine. You heard me sing it. Because I've asked this before, you know, are there any requests? And people say, you know, one lady actually requested raindrops keep falling on my head. This really happened. It really happened. She said, raindrops, and I would, no, I'm not, you know. Raindrops keep falling on my head. No, I'm not doing it. Okay, did, uh, you were saying the hey-ho, the hey-ho song. Maybe that's a good one to end on. Are you... Can I just ask a really honest question? You won't hurt my feelings. Um, I, I, I would be happy to do one song. I would be happy to do three songs. What is your pleasure? One over here. You won't really won't hurt my feelings. Okay, three. Three. Oh, okay, maybe the three people are just more vocal than all you. Oh, I'm just embarrassed to go one, Bob. I've had enough of you, you know. So maybe I better save the, this song then. I'll, I'll, let's split the difference. I'll do two. Okay, two songs. Is that cool? And then we'll end with that one because that's a, that's a nice one. Um, I'm going to... Is my guitar on? Rushed you away. 
And it feels like you won't last another day Let your heart be brave The calming of the waves Is dearer than you know For stormy days will be a distant dream La la la, la 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 Floating in a still and quiet stream The river will run fast The river will run slow Cause that's the way it goes That's the way it goes sometimes Things are going to work out fine Rain will fall and then Sun will shine again that's the way it goes Life's the mystery And we don't always see God's hand But He's the Lord of love and wonder One day we will understand Yeah, yeah That's the way it goes sometimes Things are going to work out fine Rain will fall and then Sun will shine again That's the way it goes sometimes Things are going to work out fine Rain will fall and then Sun will shine again That's the way it goes Okay, now the hey-ho song. And this I wrote after my dad died. And it's just a little little uh, musing about heaven. And then uh, I had the privilege of singing at Earl's funeral. Um, to celebrate both of our dads, you know. And Earl was my second dad. So I called him dad. Still called Darlene mom. Uh, so... Uh, it's a good musing, a good, a good uh, reminiscence, I guess, and a reminder. This ain't the end, baby. There's more after this. So if you know, there's a part in the middle. Hey-ho, hey-ho. And you don't want to do hard liquor. Just tea, okay? You just want to do tea. Hey ho, okay. So it, there's a there's a part. Your your part goes. Hey ho, hey ho, right? And because we're Scottish, I gave this on the Scottish feel. And you got to do Scottish things. You got to sing like a Scot, which means you sing loudly and you wave your tea. All right. So come on, everybody, do this with me. Hey ho, yeah, perfect. Okay, so I will cue you by pointing, and when I point, and by the way, that's the only cue. Not has nothing to do with the neck of my guitar, has nothing to do with my eyebrows or my winking or elbow. You know, it's just this because I've done all those things. And people go, that's the cue. Hey. And then they're embarrassed. And I, I don't want you to be embarrassed. OK, so uh, it's just this. But when I point, don't be shy. All right. Just jump right into your part. Sing that. Hey, ho. And uh, it's your way of agreeing with the song. OK. My father is there And I am there in my heart Sometimes I long to slip away To 
join the ones who departed the mighty cloud of witnesses bears silent testimony when I shall join the ranks of them I'll worship Jesus only one of these days we'll all be home say